You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Okay, so today's episode is part two of the Sheila Bellish case. So if you're joining us for the first time or you missed last week's episode, you need to stop right now. Don't go any further. Go back and listen to last week's part one. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. The pictures of the babies, that really, that, that, you know, that strikes home with people that watch the media. I mean, you, you know, people are murdered every day, but when you got somebody that murdered, they got four, I got quadruplets running around the house with their blood, man, and they could get a picture of them outside going to the rescue vehicle. That, that hits everybody in the heart. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting very far away from Alexis Linkletter and even farther away from Billy Jensen. This is week two from social distance podcasting for The First Degree. It's been two weeks since we've seen each other, since we've held each other, since we've drank together, since I've made fun of Billy's socks. Like, what do we even do? I know I'm not even wearing socks right now. Oh my gosh, no rules. That's how much it's changed. No rules at all. You have bare feet right now? I have bare feet right now in my office. You can make fun of my socks. I do too, but... (laughs) Look at at mine. Mine are good. What what is that? What are those? They're bunnies having sex with each other. Oh. From here... It's just upside down. So we're on Zoom right now so we can see each other while we're talking, but... And Alexis just showed me her socks... But they look like they looked like grumpy cat faces. So I'm a little. That would have been better. No, I, I don't think so. Alexis isn't that basic. But no. I need to go back to the fact that Billy is going rogue without socks at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what day is it, Billy? Well, obviously it's April Fool's Day, mm. and but it's also two other ones that I think are even more significant. It's National Jump in Muddy Puddles Day. You can't, which I think is really wonderful. Do that. Yeah, well, and it's also Maybe. you can go, you can go out a little bit just as long as you're not near anybody. Bit. It's also yeah. sourdough bread day, and I don't know if uh, you are like me, but a lot of the people I've been following on Instagram are doing a lot of baking, and I'm seeing a lot of people baking bread. Like sourdough bread is delicious. Bread. Sourdough bread is the best type of bread. Number one, hands down. So, so it's it is sourdough bread day. So break it out. People. There's actually a lot of days today. I was surprised that people even went to submit their day, considering April Fools is such a big day. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're all maybe they're all false days, though. Maybe there's also uh, National Fun Day, and we all know that nobody's having fun today. I haven't had fun in a really long time. This is fun. This is the most fun I've had. This is fun. This is the most fun I've had right now. Things feel yeah. a little bit normal. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, absolutely no fun. The most fun part of my day is when I go on a walk and it's pretty sad in itself. So the only place I go on a walk is the cemetery where Bar- <laughs> where Billy has a plot where he's going to be buried. <laughs> so then I just go, I just literally walk around and think about death. And then I come back and I work on shows about death. And then I'm like, wow, it's just a lot really of death. Billy, do you have yeah. your plot? Um, location like can Alexis yes, go visit I, it already? I, I do have the plot location, but it's a secret. I do not have it. I, I will say it's right near Vampire's plot. Oh, or, where, where she is actually buried. Yeah. What's do you her know real who name? Neighbors are yet. Uh, Fred Armisen. Oh, perfect. Well, 
that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. On last week's episode, we took you through the labyrinth of suspects connected to the 1997 murder-for-hire conspiracy of Sheila Bellish. Sheila Bellish had been discovered brutally murdered in her home. Her 13-year-old daughter, Stevie, had been the one to find her. And Sheila's four quadruplet babies were covered in her blood at the scene after being left alone with their mother's body for more than six hours. So today on The First Degree, in a twist of fate, we also have one of the police officers who worked Sheila Bellish's case. And he was one of the first responders on the scene. Bill Kutcher currently works at the Venice Police Department, but at the time, he was a corporal in the Forensic Services Unit for the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office. Bill's daughter, Heather, is actually a first-degree listener and is in our Facebook group, and she reached out to us after hearing part one of the story and introduced us to Bill. So without further ado, here is Bill. At that point, I was a... uh supervisor in the forensic services unit and I surprised crime scene along with uh, my we got called that uh, there was a, uh, a homicide so then we pretty much I gather up my troops and away we go and we uh, responded to the house where uh, Sheila Bellish was parked. the uh, crime scene itself was pretty much half of the house and uh, the Make it even more complicated. I had four quadruplets running around the house when we uh, when we got there as well. Uh, they were corralled up by the deputy, but and got out of the scene. Um, but it was uh, one of the more horrific ones that I saw, uh, only because I'm a dad, and to have someone murdered inside their house and have four babies step on their blood standing around her. It was kind of eerie because her footprints were all around her where she was laying in the kitchen. The primary crime scene started right in the laundry room, which has a been way to the uh, kitchen area. That's where uh, she was first, uh, from what I consider, that's where he first pulled a gun and they shot her. Um, it went through part of her jaw and her mouth and the uh, projectile went into the back room, uh, which was like a living room. I don't know if it's formal living room, what you call it that. Get a mirror and bounce back into the kitchen. At that point, I'm guessing she kind of turned and ran towards the kitchen, which was, you know, the next room over. And that's when he uh, cut her instead of, uh, you know, shooting her again. I don't know why. Uh, Lord only knows. While she was bleeding out, um, the wall phone that was on the back kitchen wall, and she's trying, she could see her, because uh, her hands were bloody, she's bleeding out, knowing that she's probably going to die. She's trying to uh, crawl up the wall to get to the phone. And that's where she actually died, right below the phone. There's a reason we're talking about this case. There's a reason why we made it a two-parter. It's because it gripped the nation. Sheila's case inspired author Anne Rule, one of the most famous true crime authors, to write a book called Every Breath You Take about the case. The case was featured on A&E's American Justice, on 48 Hours, and FBI Criminal Pursuit, just to name a few. Which begs an initial question, what exactly about this case was it that drew people in? Uh, and that's what I think caught a lot of media attention, was the pictures of the babies. That really, that, that, you know, that strikes home with the people that watch the media. I mean, you know, people are murdered every day, but when you've got somebody that's murdered, they got four, I got quadruplets running around the house with their blood, man, and they can get a picture of them outside going to the rescue vehicle. That, that hits everybody in the heart. Well, the pictures that showed up on the media, and this is where the anecdote comes in. I had four quads running around, one in a life jacket, uh, she was very, very good mom. And if she had to change a baby, 
and she couldn't keep an eye on the rest of them, even though she would have the uh, sliding glass doors shut for the swimming pool. She would put life jackets on them in case she, if some slipped, they one of them ran away real quick, fell in the pool. At least she knows that she, you know, she could, they, they would drown. Uh, to answer your question, that being said, I had to get the life jackets and the clothing off of that because they may have trace evidence on them. Now, hanging over that sliding glass door that led to the pool were four outfits. And uh, most of most of my uh, detective friends and that will never let me live it down. But I had all four quads in the uh, a rescue uh, vehicle, an ambulance. Uh, and uh, we took the clothing off of them. What they have, most of them were diapers. And I gave them the four outfits that were hanging up. The problem was... Those outfits that I put on them, unbeknownst to me, were skunk costumes for Halloween. Skunk, skunk costumes. So, but it served the it served the purpose that uh, they were hanging up. So I know it wasn't involved in the scene. We grabbed extra diapers out of the scene, and they were re-diapered and uh, put their skunk costumes on and that kept them warm. This site that Bill came upon at the Bellish home is one no one would ever forget. But what's a little bit harder to keep track of is all of the players in this very layered case. So as a refresher, evidence at the scene led police to track down Sheila's killer, a 21-year-old named Joey Del Toro. And while Joey Del Toro had been the person to physically perpetrate the murder against Sheila, the police and Sheila's family suspected that the man behind the killing was Sheila's ex-husband, Alan Blackthorne. And while they suspected the ex-husband, they struggled to find a connection between the wealthy retired businessman and the 21-year-old Del Toro. But the police didn't give up, and eventually the players in this case started to fall like dominoes, all making confessions along the way. And the truth came out. Sheila's ex-husband, Alan, had recruited his golf buddy, Danny Rocha, who then recruited golf caddy, Sammy Gonzalez, who then recruited his cousin, Joey Del Toro, to kill Sheila in a chain of events that's like a deadly game of telephone. In the end, everything led back to Alan Blackthorne. Seems simple enough then, right? Wrong. Holding Alan Blackthorne accountable would be more difficult than anyone could have anticipated. Last week, we took you through the case through the perspective of law enforcement as they were piecing things together. And this week, we're going to walk you through the culmination of what was uncovered during the investigation, included the history of Sheila and Alan Blackthorne's relationship, the stalking and obsession Alan Blackthorne had with his ex-wife, and the lengths that Alan went in pursuit of revenge. And there's a glaring question to address. Why exactly did Alan Blackthorne want Sheila dead? After all, Alan had remarried a woman named Maureen, and they had two sons. Sheila remarried Jamie and had her quadruplets. It seemed like everyone had moved on with their lives. But of course, things are never as they seem. So in order to understand what was supposed to be a love story that culminated in a brutal murder for hire plot spanning multiple states and conspirators, we're going to go back to the beginning. It was in 1982 that 19-year-old Sheila Lee Walsh married the twice-divorced 27-year-old Alan Blackthorne in a wedding in Salem, Oregon. It turns out that Sheila knew little about her new husband's past, and some information about Alan is still elusive to this day. Alan claims to have been physically abused by his mother when he was growing up. He said that she burnt him and beat him, but other family members dispute this information. His uncle, Tom Oliver, who raised Alan for two years at one point, told People Magazine in an interview, quote, it never happened. He also told People I held a gun to him to get him to do his homework. It was a lie. He fantasizes all these things and people believe him. And Sheila and Alan's marriage started to sour not long after they tied the knot. And there were a number of reasons for this. In 1983, Alan had been charged by Oregon law enforcement with leaving the scene of a fatal accident after his car had collided with a motorcyclist, killing him. And he went to trial for this, but he got a lucky break when the jury deadlocked and the state decided to drop the charges to not have to try him again. Alan then partnered with Sheila's parents in investing in an audio equipment store, but that business failed and was forced into bankruptcy. So you can imagine how this would put a strain on a family relationship and a marriage. And it's at that point that Alan moved Sheila and their kids to Hawaii, probably to isolate her 
as the things between the families continued to worsen. And after one year in Hawaii, he moved the family to San Antonio, where he decided to reinvent himself. You see, it's at this point that Alan Blackthorne actually becomes Alan Blackthorne. Alan's birth name was actually Alan Van Hout, but he decided that he wanted to change it upon his move to Texas. And he said the change and the name was a nod to his favorite character from the miniseries Shogun. And that may have been true, but he wasn't changing his name just for warm and fuzzy feelings and nostalgia. People generally don't just up and change their names for no reason. The truth was that Alan was attempting to evade hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, and a new name and a new city would make him difficult to find. And right around the same time as Alan's name change and the family's move to San Antonio, Alan escalated in his abuse of Sheila. He had always been controlling and verbally abusive, but now visible signs of this abuse manifested in the form of bruises all over Sheila's face and body. On at least one occasion, she checked into a shelter for battered women. And in 1987, San Antonio police arrested Alan for assaulting Sheila, and he pleaded no contest to those charges. And while this abuse continued, so did Alan's shady business dealings. The following year, he was sentenced to probation relating to bad checks amounting to 27 grand. And it was around this time that Sheila filed for divorce from Alan, which became finalized the following year in 1988. But while Sheila was free on paper, she was far from free of Alan himself. Their fight for custody of their two girls, Stevie and Daryl, turned into one of those really ugly battles where each parent was accusing the other of abuse and neglect in an effort to win favor with the courts. And these courtroom battles would span nearly 10 years. Their divorce files included custody and child support demands, accusations and counter accusations detailing instances of adultery and, like we said, abuse. Alan referred to Sheila as a cheater and a gold digger. And Sheila alleged that Alan once sexually abused their daughter, Stevie, which that's a very serious accusation. And that he employed male and female sex workers in extramarital affairs and made her wear bondage gear in the bedroom. She also claimed that he chased her around their house while repeatedly shocking her with a cattle prod as she cried and begged him to stop. While the legal battles between Sheila and Alan remained vicious, Sheila's luck started to shift when she boarded a flight to San Francisco in 1992. It was on this serendipitous flight that Sheila sat next to Jamie Bellish. He was a former Marine, and he had served in Operation Desert Storm and was now working for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. On that plane ride, Jamie was a stranger, but they were married a year later. So after Jamie and Sheila met on the plane and got married, there was newlywed bliss to a degree, but it was tainted by Sheila's constant problems with Alan because he still had visitation rights with Stevie and Daryl. Cutting that toxic relationship off completely just wasn't possible. And meanwhile, Alan married his fourth wife, Maureen, in 1994. Sheila hoped that Alan's new marriage would curb the issues between them, but it didn't. The following year, Sheila gave birth to her quadruplets in San Antonio, and the local press fawned over the babies, and she became this kind of local celebrity mom. This all really pissed Alan off, and he harassed the Bellishes every chance he got. By this point, Sheila and Jamie moved to keep Alan from knowing where they lived. And they started planning to move to Sarasota, Florida to escape Alan because they wanted to raise their now huge family in peace away from him. So the San Antonio news media followed the stories of the quadruplets really closely and did a follow-up segment on the four babies for their first birthday. Sheila at this point was 33. She was stunningly beautiful, happily remarried, and had six kids total. And Alan persisted in the hatred and jealousy over his ex-wife. By 97, the bad blood between Alan and his ex-wife Sheila was something everyone in the equation was used to. But it's in this year that the tides turned and the wheels of conspiracy were set in motion. That summer, Alan Blackthorne suddenly surrendered his parental rights over Stevie and Daryl to Sheila completely. And that same month is when Alan Blackthorne started soliciting friends of his, like his golf buddy Danny Rocha, to quote-unquote beat up his ex-wife. Well, and I have a theory about why he sort of inexplicably, after fighting so hard to beat Sheila, whether it's divorce or over custody or whatever, I think he decided first that he was going to kill her. So he's like, I can give up the parental rights because I'll just get them back. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like, Absolutely. I'm going to kill her. So it's, I'll get him back. The stepdad's not going to keep my kids. So I think he was like, I'll stop fighting this. It was probably expensive lawyers and shit. He's like, I'll just hand it over and I'll just get it back. Well, in his mind, it's probably just the easier way out. He's like, oh, I can just kill her. It's fine. No big deal. Where it's like now he's, you know, going this back and forth. It's a pain in the ass. He's obviously just like a spiteful piece of shit. So a lot easier. Yeah. And always be always be careful if you're in a protracted fight for a really long time and somebody all of a sudden says, okay, I'm good. Mm -hmm. There's something behind that. Oh, yeah. If somebody's willing to fight that hard for something, it's obviously a very calculated move for them to just back off. Yeah, it's true. So... And this was 97. So they had been fighting for nearly a decade because their divorce was finalized in 88. So 10 years and then suddenly he's just being amenable to whatever she wants. Highly unlikely. But in 97 of that year, a lot happened in that summer in the war that is Sheila versus Alan. The Belishes started the process of moving to Florida. So within that time frame, something very unexpected happened. An incident allegedly occurred between Sheila and her younger daughter, Daryl. And these are, again, the children she shares with Alan. So a lot of accusations, just so you guys are aware, were made during and post the Blackthorn divorce when Sheila separated from Alan. It's difficult to determine which accusations were true and which were fabricated as ammunition and sort of as bargaining chips as far as getting custody of the children and fighting against each other. Introduce you to the Bellishes in December of 1995 when they had quintuplets. It was a very joyful time. Francis Anthony is named after my father. A month and a half later, we interviewed a much less relaxed Sheila Bellish. First week, oh, that was scary. <laughs> I didn't have sleep for two days, and it was it was pretty rough. It's overwhelming, and unfortunately, I do a lot of out of town travel, so I had to get my wife some help. Investigators are looking into just what's happened in the home since then. Deputies had responded to several domestic calls in the home in the past year. But this time, Sheila was charged with a third-degree felony, accused of assaulting her 12-year-old daughter from her previous marriage with a belt and a belt buckle. Turn that thing off. Turn it off. At the couple's home in Bernie today, James Bellish asked us to leave, saying we don't know the whole story. Sheila was released on $5,000 bond. Custody of her daughter, who is staying at a shelter, may be given to the state this week. Investigators say the quadruplets were not harmed. This alleged situation resulted in felony charges being filed against Sheila for child abuse. So apparently Daryl said that she had been beaten with a belt by Sheila, which caused welts on her legs. Her dad, Alan, convinced Daryl to press charges and talk to the police and make a big, big thing about this. This, quote unquote, meaning maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But he manipulated Daryl into pressing charges against her mom. So Daryl later said that her father had, in fact, manipulated her into all of this, although the specifics are unknown. It's he said, she said. So we won't speculate further about what really happened, but it's it's key information. Well, there may be underlying issues, too, because there were uh, accusations of uh, abuse towards his two older daughters, or at least one of them that I know of. I think that came up um, in the investigation as well. And which is, I think, the, one of the reasons that Sheila was trying to get away from him and get divorced because she suspected that. Um, yeah, I guess she talked about that with, with Jamie for quite a few times, and uh, that's why they decided, you know, Sarasota's place to be. The first reason that this is key information is because Sheila was arrested. She's arrested for child abuse, and her daughter was placed in a shelter. Now, this is some serious shit. The next day, Sheila was released on bond. And Sheila, of course, intended on getting Daryl back. And she denied that this abuse ever happened. But the court process is slow. It's always going to be slow. And we can already tell Alan is a psychopath. But here's where he starts leaving tangible evidence that he actually is a psychopath. Alan called the bail bondsman that Sheila was using. And he posed as her attorney in an attempt to trick the employee into giving him Sheila's new address which was information that she had deliberately hidden from Alan. She didn't want him knowing where she was living. But lucky for police, Alan had no idea that the company recorded all of their phone calls. Yes, ma'am. You 
folks have a bond on a Sheila Bellish for $5,000. Uh, I can't release that information. I don't know who you are. Okay, what, what I'm trying to figure out is that well, I'm somebody that they owe money to and they skipped out of state on me. While Sheila and Jamie are settling into their new home and new life in Sarasota, Sheila had no idea what was going on in the background. As it turns out, Alan had already learned the address of their new home. And the question is how? Well, Alan had hired a private investigator named Chuck Chambers to hunt Sheila down. And he did, not knowing that he was handing over her location to a total psychopath. Yeah. So b- before the internet, it wasn't difficult to hide your address. The first thing you would do was you would actually pay the white pages, the people that ran the phone book, to not include your address in there. That's where people would go to- through first. Then people would have to go through, do a property record search or do a DMV search. If you remember the case of Rebecca Schaefer, who was the My Sister Sam actress who was killed by a fan, he actually paid a private investigator money to get her address. He got it from the DMV. And her killer traveled to LA, knocked on her door and shot her in the, in the head. So, um, PIs didn't ask questions back then. It was sort of like, Oh, you want to know where somebody lives? Here you go. Let's do it. Okay. So it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. I think it's also interesting to note, too, like we're pretty sure that Alan was a psychopath, right? And we're kind of reading things verbatim of the things that the information that he got from people, but you're not really remembering the fact that psychopaths are extremely charming and can basically get whatever they want very easily and get information out of people, even if it isn't a private eye, just by being their charming selves. Well, exactly. They know how to elicit the response that they need. They wake up and their brains don't work like ours, where we are saying, I would never do something like that. Why would somebody wake up and think about who they're going to, who they're going to manipulate today to get what they want? That's not how regular people think. That's how psychopaths think. And it's, it's why he was able to manipulate his daughter, Daryl, you know, 
And here's why. So what Alan did was tell people that his wife was abusive towards his children. That's what he told the private eye. And it's he has a total like Bundy vibe if you watch any of the shows about him. And the sob story that he told people was my wife is taken off with the kids. She's abusive. And I need this. I need this address. I need information about her. What he did essentially was manufacture evidence of this abuse by manipulating his daughter into making the claims. So his story to everybody is that she's abusive. He needed proof. So he manufactured that too by manipulating a pre-teenager into, and that's how selfish you are. Like you're going to damage the relationship between a daughter and mother so that you can have a little pawn to use mm-hmm. at your advantage. So that's that's what all of this is. It's like he's just checking things off his list, how, how he's going to get people to do what he wants. And completely screwing up his daughter in the process too. You know, you're, yeah, you're damaging care, your daughter forever. Yeah. No, he doesn't give a shit. And it's just interesting that he's like projecting. I mean, he was the abusive one. He's a projecting all of the fucked up shit that he's doing onto his wife, who allegedly was a really good mother. So mm-hmm. that's the most twisted part of it all. So right. these people did not know that they were aiding a psychopath and hunting down an innocent person. And Alan told tons of lies of how Sheila ran off with the kids, like Alexis said, and played like he was a victim. Again, that's another thing that psychopaths do. They can turn around any story and make it seem like they're the victim. So at this point, Sheila is in Florida and she thinks that she's safe. She has her guard down. But all the while, the wheels of Alan's plan were already in motion. In fact, Joey Del Toro, who is the hired hitman, and his cousin, Sammy Gonzalez, were already in Sarasota, Florida, looking for an opportunity to strike on the day that Sheila went back to San Antonio for the court proceeding she needed to attend to get Daryl back. And she actually does get Daryl back, and the family is all in Florida. Jamie had started working at a new job. The family had joined the Sarasota Baptist Church, and they thought everything was going to be okay. But as we all know now... That wouldn't be the case. And then finally, after months of planning, conspiring, and after more than a decade of harassment, Alan's plan is carried out on November 7th, 1997. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of emotions involved with that case, especially when she was laying there below the floor. floor, The amount of bloody footprints from the quads was unreal. Basically, they're all standing around her looking at her. That really, that drives, that, that hits really close to home. That, that is uh, one of the things I won't forget. Back in those days, I was single. And since I was married, um, have two lovely daughters. And as soon as you have a child, when you have a case that involves a child, whether that child is a victim or is... Uh, the uh, child of the parent that's a victim, and it, uh, it really kind of gets you right in the heart. Uh, very, you set your feelings aside until you're done. And when I got home, I might just sat down and just shook my head, took a deep breath, just couldn't believe it. Something would do something like that. Joey Del Toro drove 1,200 miles to Sarasota, where he shot Sheila in the face, slashed her throat in front of her babies. Del Toro had left a vivid trail of clues, including a bloody f- fingerprint, and was easily identified. In the, in the forensic aspect, because most are civilian, I was sworn as a supervisor that, but their drive is to get what they can get and get it indicative of a suspect and then present that in court and put that son of a gun away for however long it takes. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's a little bit different than with cops. You know, we try to, uh, if somebody screws up and they're in need of arrest, you know, that's what we do and to keep peace and to keep, uh, you know, everybody on the straight and narrow, so to speak, the, the public. But a forensic person, that is a, that's a, a drive similar to like a police officer has. And it's to get the bad guy, you know, because basically a lot of these cases would not be solved without a forensic uh, technician, a CSI, a detective, a forensic detective, which I was. And that was our goal. I mean, we, you, you got nothing. You go let your evidence talk to you and try to find the guy that did it, the guy or girl, whomever. Uh, and 
family closure because that was very important as well. And as we know from part one, once they identified Joey Del Toro, they identified the other conspirators, Del Toro's cousin, Sammy Gonzalez, and Danny Rocha, Alan Blackthorne's golf buddy. The first person to face charges was Sammy Gonzalez, and he was smart. He cooperated right away and pleaded guilty to conspiracy and received very, very reduced sentence. The next person to be placed under arrest was Danny Rocha, and Rocha was key to proving Alan Blackthorne was the mastermind. But Alan wasn't arrested. He wasn't arrested for more than two years, and here's why. Rocha refused to talk or cooperate without a sweetheart deal and was trying to strong arm the state into giving him one. He thought that because he was the only person connecting Joey Del Toro to Alan Blackthorne, that he was key and that the prosecution would give him whatever he wanted. And they eventually did agree to give him a deal. So what he did was confess to everything. But when he was asked to take a polygraph test to prove that he was telling the truth, he failed. So the prosecution tossed his deal. He went to trial and he was found guilty of principle to murder in the first degree and was sentenced to life in prison for his role in the killing. All while Alan Blackthorne remained free to work on his golf swing. So what I will say about Danny Rocha, all he did was make a phone call and he got life in prison. So they don't fuck around with conspiracy. Like you introduced, they go, I want to hurt or kill someone. I got a guy. You're that middleman. You're just as guilty. And he tried to fuck with the prosecution instead of cooperating. I think it was the 48 hours. They were like, yeah, um, he, sh- he was stupid. He should have talked right away and he would have gotten a deal. Right. He would have gotten, you know, 20 years. But to get life, you idiot. Yeah, he's idiot. Like trying to control the system and he ended up getting bit in the ass. Greedy, yeah. Yeah. So Alan Blackthorne is still free and weeks turn into months. And the proof was lagging behind the suspicion. As investigators worked to prove what everybody already knew, Alan was spending his time at those country clubs and conducting media interviews, and he steadfastly denied the implications. The killer and the other conspirators had never met Sheila, but all of them knew or knew of Alan from the golf courses where they worked and played. Each of them implicated Alan in their confessions but none of them could prove Alan's involvement. There was no paper trail, no transactions, no calls between Alan and the trigger man. All they had was the word of Danny Rocha, which they couldn't trust because of his shit credibility. It was not enough evidence to win a case against a man who could hire the best defense counsel in Florida. So Alan turned into San Antonio's version of O.J. Simpson. Reporters were digging up dirt on his past, and it was even revealed that Alan and the prosecutor had dated the same woman in the past. So it's these sensational stories like that that were all over the news. And for more than two years, Alan smugly lived his life after he had stolen Sheila's so insanely brutally. But that was all about to change. Finally, two years later, the state believed they had enough to win a conviction if they took Allen to trial. Eventually, FBI agents and Texas Rangers invaded the Blackthorn San Antonio mansion and they took legal documents and family photos and photographed the trove of his sex toys. At trial, the prosecution painted Allen exactly as he truly was, a sadistic psychopath who stalked and murdered his ex-wife after obsessing over her for nearly a decade following their divorce. And the trial exhibit that the prosecution decided to lead with was the 911 call that Sheila's oldest daughter, Stevie, made when she found her mom's body. They had many witnesses testify to the lengths Alan would go to in order to obtain information about Sheila. One of Alan's former employees testified that Alan ordered her to follow Sheila home and report back the address. And the jury heard that recorded phone call when Alan had called the bail bonds company and posed as somebody else to try to extract information from them. And the jury further learned that Alan would not speak to his daughters for months at a time, but then promise he was coming to visit as a way to get the address and can cajole them into giving him information about where Sheila was. And after he got the information he needed, he would disappear again and ignore the girls for months. 
Depositions from Sheila and Alan's divorce were also introduced. In them, Sheila told the lawyers that Blackthorne had threatened to maim or kill her, adding what seemed in retrospect to be a forecast. Quote, he told me he was in a position to have somebody else do it. So Alan's defense claimed that Danny Rocha did all of this in order to get in Blackthorne's good graces because he wanted to have a lucrative relationship with him. So we're thinking this is a guy who just wanted to get a rich friend. Another theory the defense introduced was that Jamie Bellish was responsible. Despite his airtight alibi he had, and even though there was no evidence to connect him with any of the other conspirators, remember, there was evidence to connect the conspirators definitely with Alan Blackthorne. Good morning, guys. Hi, how are you doing? Doing all right? All right, y'all, what are we arguing about today? Now Blackthorne's attorneys say they'll prove in court Jamie Bellish is the real killer. We have telephone calls going to Gonzalez, Del Toro's girlfriend. We believe those were made by James Bellish to find out where Del Toro was because he was late. Joey Del Toro is the accused trigger man. Two others, Sammy Gonzalez and Daniel Rocha, pled guilty and were convicted in Sheila Bellish's murder. So what does Jamie Bellish have to say about all of this? I've never met him before in my life. Were you expecting something like this eventually? Well, it's sort of his M.O., I guess you could say. I truly hope they are stupid enough to try to prove Jamie Bellish murdered his wife in trial. I'm looking forward to that issue. That guy who just said that about being stupid, that's the prosecutor. Love that guy. The Blackmore's attorneys say evidence will show Jamie Bellish's alibis on the day of the murder don't check out. Here's the thing. Jamie's alibis do check out. And now we're going to hear from the defense attorney. This isn't uh, a matter of the lawyers making allegations. This is what the evidence is turning up in uh, both in Texas and Sarasota, Florida. These are what witnesses are saying. That's simply not true. Either way, the prosecution was pretty excited for their key witness, Danny Rocha, who, although wasn't given a deal because they didn't believe his testimony to be reliable enough, did still testify in this trial against Alan Blackthorne. Danny Rocha did testify, and he pointed the finger squarely at Alan as the mastermind of this whole thing. He said that Alan had convinced him that Sheila was a danger to their kids and that she was an evil abuser. Joey Del Toro was offered $4,000 to kill Sheila. And as we all know, he did. Now, switching back to Joey Del Toro, the trigger man, for just a moment, reminds me of a story that Emily, our first degree from last week, told me that she heard on, I think, a news or a TV show, but I looked it up, and this did happen in an interview. Joey Del Toro said that he had showed up at Sheila's house and he had been fed all of this information about how she's a terrible child abuser. But when he walked in the home, he could see her lovingly playing with her four quadruplets. And for a second, he was, he wanted to back out. He wanted to call this thing off. But in that moment, Sheila saw him out of the corner of her eye. And with that, he decided to move forward. And that's when the murder occurred. But it was so goddamn close to not happening that that story's infuriating. But you know what? Joey Del Toro did what he did. He made the decision he made. Joey Del Toro was extradited from Mexico, where he'd been on the run in 1999. And in 2000, he pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and armed burglary. And he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences, the maximum penalty for both charges. And you know what? He deserves it. But you know who deserves it even more? The person who, without them, Sheila would still be alive. And that's Alan Blackthorne. Alan Blackthorne was sentenced to life without parole for the murder with conspiracy charges. And he would serve this all in a federal prison. Alan Blackthorne's death behind bars was certain. The only variable to consider was how long the psychopath would actually live for. The 59-year-old died at the Terre Haute prison in Indiana 14 years after he was sentenced. Jamie Bellish, along with Stevie and the Quads, moved to his hometown of Kemma Lake in New Jersey to raise them as a single dad. And Daryl moved in with her aunt and uncle in Oregon. So if you're not a member of law enforcement like myself, like Jack, like Billy, these cases have to get your wheels turning in your head. How do these cases impact members of law enforcement? who have been exposed to other homicides in the past, 
but not one like this, where a mother of six, a 35-year-old mother of six, is found with her four quadruplet babies standing around her after she had been brutally killed. I mean, what impact does it have on the mind and emotional state of a police officer? Um, when you talk to any police officer, after so many years of seeing a lot of what goes on in society, because most people are oblivious to it, yeah, it does change you a little bit. You um, have to keep the cop humor going. If that's, you know, you, you laugh and at when you're uh, in the face of diversity, you know, just to keep your wits about you, and just that's how we cope with it. But down inside, yeah, it, it does change you a little bit. It's like, you know, how could somebody do something like that? You know, it's and these four kids will never have their mom back. You know what I'm saying? It's it's just so tragic, and it's just heartbreaking to see that as much as it is, you know. A child, a child that's been hurt, whether it's car accident or uh, by malicious means, of, you know, shooting their by their parents uh, uh, because of abuse. It's it, it, it gets to you, and you just have to deal with it, cope with it. it. Everybody has a little bit different way of coping with it, but it does get to you. Now, when I hear the details of this case, the next question I'm compelled to ask is, why do you do it? Imagine showing up at this crime scene, seeing these four babies crying, seeing this dead young mother. Um, her husband eventually returns to the scene. He's crushed. There's her two older daughters crushed. It sounds really painful to be a fly on the wall to all of this suffering. So, of course, it's a question a lot of us have for people who do really difficult jobs like this that take an emotional toll. Why do you do it? Well, at this point, I train police officers well. I've been a field training officer all my career, all 36 years. Uh, I train people in forensics. I train people on the road. Uh, it's just, uh, and I can see it in someone's eyes if they, they have the passion. You just, you got to have it in your heart to do this. And if you don't, the job will eat you up and drive you crazy. But to answer your question, I have it in my heart. I've always loved it. And from the first day I was on my patrol on my own to, till tomorrow when I go to work, I look forward to going to work every day. It's a passion, and I love it. The case of Sheila Bellish is so layered, so incredibly faceted, and undoubtedly filled with so much pain. While at the same time, it is filled with so much triumph. Despite the odds, despite everything working against law enforcement, the bad guy did not win. Whether it's a confusion and disgust and trying to understand how two people who say they love each other can go from that to a point of souring so drastically that one of them wants to kill the other one and have their lover wiped from the earth. How even when you do something right, and if you do everything right to protect yourself, when you realize you're in danger, as Sheila did, something terrible can still happen. How sometimes it feels like the bad guy is winning, but then you remember that win, that victory, when you're evil is only temporary. And I'm going to end today's episode the same way I ended part one of this two-part series on Sheila Bellish. Because God damn it, Benjamin Franklin has quotes for days, that guy, that encompass feelings in a way I didn't know possible. The first quote, I hope that all mankind will at length have reason and sense enough to settle their differences without cutting throats. The second quote, tricks and treachery are the practice of fools that don't have brains enough to be honest. And I save the best for last. Quote, whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. A 
big, huge thank you to our first degree officer, Bill Kutcher. I am so grateful we had you for today's episode. And an extra big thanks to Bill's daughter, Heather, who's a listener, who alerted us to the fact that her father was one of the first people on the scene in the case we were covering in part one. So this serendipitous situation is incredible. It is the very essence of the first degree. We're all just one degree of separation away from something like this. And this is a perfect case in point. So if you've ever had the opportunity to tell us about a story you're connected to, please do, because this worked out marvelously and we are so grateful. Right, Jack? You take it away. If you have a first degree story that you would like to tell us, please email us at hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Jack Vanek at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen. Join our Facebook group on Facebook. Just search the first degree and you will find us. We're talking all things true crime and stick around because we're going to kill some time and talk about the Tiger King. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and the coronavirus. <laughs> and keep your friends close. And not that close and only six feet away. If you, you forgot which one we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, stay six, six feet away, people. The longer, if you guys stay away, this will end sooner. Please stay away. Stay home. Stay home. Thanks. Happy uh, sourdough day. Happy, Happy jumping in bottles day jump in a puddle sources for today's episode include people magazine tampa bay times palm beach daily news the herald tribune 48 hours court documents and as always our first three guests are always our largest source you ever meet someone who seems kind of off whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you truth finder has you covered you can search for people by name address phone number email and more TruthFinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to TruthFinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's TruthFinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. All right, welcome to Killing Time. Again, we are still remote from each other. We're trying to make it feel like we're around. We're having a drink at 3 p.m., just trying to live our lives. But, you know, how are we doing? We're good. It's a little sad over here. (laughs) Yeah, a little sad over here, too. (laughs) It is is really sad. I hate you guys. I miss you guys a lot. We've been trying to have these Zoom meetings like every couple of days just to pretend that we're hanging out with each other. Um, it's kind of worked, but, you know, it's the virtual life doesn't really it doesn't translate the same. No, no it, really it, doesn't. it really doesn't. We can't share a delicious pizza like we normally would or chicken tendies or chicken nuggies or whatever we normally get. Dumplings. No. I'm, I'm just eating sad um uh, peanut butter and jellies. That's all my life you is. Made a peanut butter mm-hmm. and jelly. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's what my Dark. life has come to. You know I can't cook. <laughs> I've been. I've, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my my door blew open from my balcony. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! It doesn't even look like you have a door there. So it's like your wall just fell down. No, oh, it's a door. You're crazy. Oh, okay. okay, so. We wanted to talk about Joe Exotic. It is, I think, I, it's the most watched anything right now on TV. Everybody's yeah, obsessed yeah. with it. And uh, we have some thoughts. Alexa, wait, Billy, did you listen to the Over My Dead Body season two, the Joe Exotic one? I didn't listen to, yeah, yes, I did. Yes. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, you, you think you, oh, well, I listened to the podcast. 
and I know everything and you really don't. And this is, if there, there was ever a case, because a lot of times when we're dealing with true crime, uh, you ask yourself, is there enough video footage for a oh TV God. show? And there's so much footage because these people shot themselves over and over and over again. And not to mention the fact that they are such interesting characters and interesting looking characters that it's made for this. It's made for everybody being at home. It's made for everybody to their jaws to drop. And what I want to know from from you all is what was the biggest jaw dropping moment for you? Oh, my God. It was like every for me, episode. It was, it was the suicide for me when they played the the suicide footage of the surveillance camera inside where the guy who was his campaign, Joe Exotic's campaign manager witnessed yeah. uh, Joe's husband's suicide. I don't think it was appropriate to use it either. Like I, no. I was really surprised. I had read an article too, that his family didn't even know that that footage existed and they were watching that all for the first time and saw that for the first time in the documentary, which is extremely fucked up. But yeah. I just want to know, like, the one thing that I have learned from being friends with Alexis and working in true crime now is that things are always made in a very biased manner. So in a sensationalized yes. manner. So I mean, the documentary kind of made everybody look pretty fucking terrible. So I wonder where, you know, things have kind of pushed the boundaries in that sense of, I don't know, like, you don't think that Carol killed her husband, right, Alexis? I know I don't. I think that if she killed her husband, she would have been arrested for killing her husband. Like mm. I just, I think there's I don't, I don't, no evidence to support it. It's ridiculous, and so much of what was in that documentary wasn't true. And it's funny, really, because I thought that the podcast had way more information than the show, because they get into actually like just different things and get you you learn way more about sort of the legal maneuvering and things like yeah. that. No, yeah, definitely but, about that. But I, you, you're introduced to more characters uh, in this show, in the in the video show, in the Netflix show. And I think for me, the jaw dropping moment was the the zookeeper who who got bit and then just decided to just lose her arm forego instead of go, arm. yeah, forego the arm. That blew me away. You know, there is, bitch, man. yeah. And, and as far as like what you know, jaw dropping moments have been. You know, abducted in plain sight uh, with oh the relief. God. That was a moment that was a jaw-dropping moment. Uh, the fire festival when the guy said he was going to have to perform fellatio to get the uh, the water out. Yeah. And then, but this one, I think, trumped both of them. I thought the suicide I mean, was a, the, a big moment. I mean, that was just the most fucked up thing. But it is... Um, I had texted Alexis because I listened to that podcast a while ago. So I forget a lot of what was in it. And for me, what I remember most is just the Joe versus Carol kind of situation. And I didn't, didn't really remember that much that was beyond that in the podcast. Um, but it was just so interesting comparing. I mean, they kind of, they ran Colts. So, and that whole aspect of um, the other guy's name was Don, right? Where the fuck did he come into play? Because I was like, that, they sort of wanted to pepper him in as a good character. But I remember being like, what the fuck does he have to do with this rivalry between these two? I guess he, ju right? he just worked in the whole thing. Yeah, but he wasn't really connected he was to that. His whole, his whole situation with all the women that have worked for him since they were 15. Mm -hmm. Like that dude, that that's fucking creepy, number one. But that shows the handle that he has over those women. And then Joe basically hiring out people that were addicted to drugs and then offering them meth and that is the way, way that he kept them around is so fucked up but the way that they both just had a hold over these people was just not good yeah yeah and also it was, you, waste, you it was a wasted opportunity to include don into that series because he should have his own because it is yeah. a cult and he's and he's an animal hoarder like exotic animal hoarder so it's like it's interesting. Yeah, they There's introduced him in the beginning and then kind of just forgot about him. But his story with all those women and stuff is so fascinating as well that they should have gone further into his whole situation too. And the fact that he was on stage with Britney for I'm a Slave for I You at the VMAs so is so crazy. I see what the producers were trying to do. They just didn't follow through. Like it, if it was going to be these three cat, these three people with these big cat things, whether it's a zoo or a rescue or whatever... They didn't include enough Don. It was kind of like a throwaway thing. Which right. is it was only in the, in the beginning, like I said. They did it yeah. like episode two and then never really mentioned him again or what he was doing. 
You know, one of the things that I see happening right now is that, you know, if if everything does get back to to order and by Halloween, this is going to be the costumes for Halloween. It's going to be people dressed up as Joe Exotic, people dressed up as tigers, people dressed up as each character. This will be the Halloween costume of the season. I mean, it's already the costume of the season. So many people are doing it in their homes with their families from like the random shit they have lying around their house. Yeah. But you know that there's... Yes. Yes. And uh, what's the next thing that's going to come up though? Because everybody's watched this now. Everybody's gone through. You're not... You know, it's interesting because of the Netflix algorithm. It's hard to find older things that are just sitting in there, you know? Um, So, uh, and same thing with... Prime and same thing with Hulu. So what's the next thing that people are going to really, um, uh, it's going to resonate with people. Um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, people that put out, I don't know that, I don't right know that anyone resonates with, with Tiger King. I think it's just a, a train wreck. You it's can't like look shock, away from shock value. Well, it's it still resonates. Really- you don't, I, you're not identified with it, but you're res- It's resonating with you though. And what is the, the, the show? I mean, it's it just, it's like, it, yeah. How does it resonate? Resonate is when you there is a personal connection to it. It's in yes. my opinion. Oh, you can't you you can't find a person that you identify with on that. Who would you identify no. with? Uh probably that that long the haired filmmaker. Uh, I mean, maybe the producer. Well, the film, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no. You know what? The producer that used to work at Current Affair or whatever that guy. Yeah, who was just like, I'm going to make a million dollars with this guy, and then his stuff all got burned up. Yeah. The old guy. I know. So yeah. this is this is the footage that was in addition to all the shit that got burned there then, correct? It must have that been. That was not clear to me. He, it was not yeah. clear to me. It was a lot more clear on the podcast in like whose footage was what. Um, and But he also did his own and whatever. Another thing they missed on the show was how many tigers Joe killed. Like there was like one throwaway line in the series that's like, I euthanized five tigers. But on the podcast, it's like the the filmmaker whose footage was burned was talking about it. He's like seeing Joe shoot tigers in the head, like willy nilly. Like, and right. I understand you can't like have don't fuck with cats and then just the pendulum swing over here with shooting tigers on TV and shit. But they made him look, believe it or not, better than he is. No, and he I know looks he- real bad, but he's even worse. He actually, I mean, there is something that's like endearing is not the right word I'm looking for, but there is something about him that's attractive to a viewer, I guess. And he's unapologetic. Yeah, he really is. And I I guess that kind of like overshadows the fact that he was a kind of terrible person that did a lot of terrible things. And people just looked at him for his entertainment value. You know, I think the one thing that they did as as filmmakers is that they did set him up as sympathetic in the beginning. And then you mm-hmm. see him, you see it start going and uh, they really started getting you. It was, you know, it was it was it was very well done the way that they started getting you to like somebody or, or dislike somebody. And then they flip it. And I thought that was interesting. And I, somebody somebody uh, tweeted out that that uh, Joe Exotic is the uh, is Steve Irwin's Wario, if you know anything about Mario. Oh my God, Mario so years, which is. is perfect. <laughs> he so is. Well, that I mean, that was a that was one of the craziest shows I've ever watched. I can't. I don't know if it's crazier than Abducted in Plain Sight or not. I can't uh, really no. decide. Abducted in Plain Sight is so fucked up. So, like it's the most fucked up thing I've ever watched in my entire life. Me too. Me too. It's just it's just unreal that that show I almost don't believe. This is like yeah, put a bunch of rednecks with some tigers. This is kind of what happens in kind of the, like legal stuff. But no, abduct in plain and sight again, is mind blowing. It's all like theatrical, and people are doing it for show and all that shit. So it kind of is believable. But abduct in plain sight, all this shit happening like within a family that nobody knew it's about. Secret, yeah. Mm-hmm. And thinking this is all okay. This is all okay. We all think this is okay. Like this is everyone sort of being sucked into the dysfunction and like not uh who said it? It was one of the profiles profilers we worked with says like psychopathy can't see psychopathy. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. when you're raised in a family where there's so much dysfunction, it's it's normalized where nobody right. can call it out because everyone's just living it and used to it. Just so used to it. Yeah. It's crazy. 
Yeah. That's insane. We well, don't want to blow get... abducted in plain sight for you. So we're not elaborating. But if you haven't seen no. it, go watch it and you'll know exactly yeah, what we're talking about. If anybody needs another binge, abducted in plain sights, I think only it's either a, a three, just three, four, two. It should have been 20. That's a couple. But it's crazier than Tiger King. And I'm trying to think of any other recommendations that we have for. Um, binge watches for people i i, ha- I actually i actually have a, a recommendation i've been binging on discovery id um uh, murder in the heartland mm. and it's like it's an anthology series but it's so well done it's very netflixy and vibey for an id show um and I, it's really 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 good billy that's what i was <laughs> um i emailed billy last night at like 3 a.m some ideas no, no. I'll forget if I don't email them to you. Please ask me about these tomorrow. I don't remember. I have to look. But I was watching Murder in the Heart Land and they're using all these really cool shots. So I was like, oh, this is a good idea. That's a good idea. But it's it's a really good show if you guys haven't, if you like ID and you have access to ID for a long <laughs> time. <laughs> okay, well, we killed enough time. We're going to go, I guess, talk to each That's other smaller. a little bit more out of this. Yeah. Time of death, 1508. Yep. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.